Welcome to the MEP Podcast, where I'll be exploring the intersection of sport and spirituality through a variety of practices that ultimately invite us to learn, grow, and connect. I believe that through movement and mindfulness, we can create an awareness within that will allow us to integrate as individuals and connect more deeply to our mind, body, and spirit, together navigating a way to the way. On this episode, I got a chance to speak with Beck Wilcox, who is a runner, triathlete, coach, mother, and probably lots of other things. I first came across her through one of the platforms she launched called Her Sports, um, which also has a sort of counterpart, Her Trails, where she is training a group of young women towards the Malibu Triathlon in Los Angeles. And I was just struck by the sort of holistic approach, the nice aesthetic imagery and videos they were sharing, and um, just the way she was talking about sport and whatnot. I got to reconnect with her um, late last year um, working on some Nike guided runs. So she actually just released her first set of Nike guided runs on the NRC app, which you can go check out. Uh, It was a cool project to work on and getting a chance to learn more about her and her process through that was really inspiring. And so I decided I better have her on the podcast and uh, I had her on my list for a little while, but realizing after seeing some of her recent posts she is about to have another baby so i decided i better hit her up sooner than later so we could dive in talk about all things movement training sport what her vision is for her sports and her trails and also got a chance to dive in and talk about her journey and what she's starting to create around um, pre-pregnancy pregnancy and postpartum training programs education and some some really interesting insights from her on that front because I think it's really something important to share and explore a lot more that doesn't get talked about and so yeah I really enjoyed speaking with her and I hope you enjoy this episode too all right Beck I'm stoked to have you on and, and chat with you um, you know I've always got a running list of people I want to have on the podcast and I can't remember what post it was of yours, but I was like, oh, she's about to have a baby. I need to hit her up sooner than later before that happens. If I wanted to Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I always look look forward to great conversations with great people. So, Well, yeah, I think it'd be great to just jump into a little bit of your sort of origin story into, you know, sport and coaching and your experience there. Um, you're from Australia, um, from what I remember learning, you kind of got into triathlon from a pretty early age and maybe we can kind of pick it up from, from your introduction to that sport and go from there. Cause for me anyways, like, I don't think I even heard, uh, had heard about triathlon until I was an adult. <laughs> yeah, it was a, um, a big choice of sport at a young age, I will say, because you ha- do have those three disciplines uh in in the one sport um so Beck Wilcock now Beck Taylor um Australian uh, I moved over to LA six years ago uh and haven't haven't moved back like most Aussies <laughs> but uh when I was younger I was always into swimming cross country track I was a very sporty child my <laughs> mom and dad used to uh, put me into sport because I had so much energy. So, and now that I have a younger version of me, that's a boy and he's six, 
almost six. Um, I understand that <laughs> because you need to run that energy out. I think I got serious with triathlons at, at the young age of 12. Um, the sport gave me a lot and it still does. Um, just from dedi learning dedication, discipline, um, giving me community. Um, triathletes have a great community, especially in Australia uh, and the US now. Um, but it, I think it, starting it at a young age, I I didn't really realise the how much I was doing. It, you, I think when you're 12, you kind of just go to the sessions and you you are active within the sport. Um, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like play. And that's the difference between like jumping into something young and then or as an adult. There's no fear. There's just like, let's go play. We're riding a bike. We're swimming. We're um, running, whatever it is. We are doing this um, as a team. So I ended up getting on the triathlon teams in Australia. We do triathlon camps. I was that kid <laughs> at school that instead of going away for the summer, I would go to triathlon camp and train. Uh, and then you're you're racing quite regularly. And I, I did that for six years, um, six solid block years of, of training hard. And then I, I got sick in the end because I was training so hard. Like I said before, it's like play. So you don't really, you're not keeping up with how much you're actually doing. And I had to take a year off. And when I took that year off, I traveled a little bit. I did things that like a normal teenager would do, um, just go to parties for the first time. Um, and then when I came back to sport, I decided that I would just run uh, instead of doing the three disciplines. And I did that, started at half marathons and now we're into ultra marathons, which is anything over uh, a full marathon. My favorite race is a hundred kilometers, um, <laughs> which, which has been fun, it's been a journey. Um, so I'd say that's my athletic background. Uh, coaching, I got into coaching after my triathlon kind of journey when it paused I got into reds so which back then was called female triads and with that I realized that I needed to learn a lot more about the human body and what it actually does for us um, and the way that it functions especially as a female so I went and did sports science degree and I've just been learning ever since. And coaching started for me at a young age. So I've been coaching for 10 years now. And I am always learning <laughs> as a coach. And I think the more you know, actually begins to <laughs> make you realise the less you know, if that makes sense. Because uh, I think there's just always more to find out. And I moved over to LA uh, six years ago. Uh, and I moved over here to be a part of the Nike team. 
So I was working for Nike in Australia and then I got offered a um, a job over here in LA and jumped on it like every Australian would. <laughs> um, and I'm lucky now because uh, my coaching career, I'm coaching for Nike and then I have her sports and her trails, which is a community of women that I love. Um, it's global now, it's online and in person. So that gives a summary of me. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, like as a young teenage triathlete, like it sounds like you're in a, a group or a team, so to speak, but when you're actually racing, it must be very individual. Like for me growing up, I was always on teams. Like I played soccer and basketball and baseball and these like, you know, very team oriented things where even in the, the game, you're functioning as a team. I'm curious, like, what that was like and how you navigated the pressure or if you felt pressure to perform as an individual kind of beyond the team. Yes. I think when you're in a sport that young at a high level, you do feel pressure as much as we had a great community and, you know, our state teams and our Australian teams everyone was very friendly. I, you, at the end of the day, triathlons is an individual sport and when you're out racing, it's just you. So you always felt pressure to do well, especially with the amount of training that you put into the sport. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, 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 challenging for a young adolescent looking back but at the time I can just remember being like oh my goodness like I need to do well my parents have put a lot of time and effort into this my coaches um and individually I have to succeed and did you have like aspirations or ambitions of um, like Olympics or or other like ITU or things like that as you're like kind of progressing in the sport? Yes, I did. Um, very early on, I wanted to be on the Australian Olympic team, but I ended up getting sick um, and not being able to go back into living that dream. I actually, before I dropped all three sports for a while, I, I kept training and then regressing have to go back to bed training regressing again and that was heartbreaking for me um because you have put yourself up to a very high level and you're like I said you're a part of this team you have the facilities you have the coaches you have the support that you need but my body just wasn't functioning the way that it should have been and that's because it needed a rest yeah, I can imagine that's many years at pushing it pretty hard. So was it really just a result of the body just kind of burning out? Yes, it was definitely a burnout. Um, like I said, female triads back then, um, which then, you know, the immune systems tends to um, weaken. So I ended up getting um, chronic fatigue syndrome which I was 
I was actually out for a while and not just out like not training I was out in bed because I was a complete burnout right. and it took a while to recover from that yeah I imagine that must have been just so challenging mentally for a young person that should really have all the vitality in the world I guess at that point but you know seeing that dream pass you by and being stuck in bed but I mean, it sounds like in the big picture, it didn't really knock you out for too long. You bounced back, dove into education, and it seems like you sort of used it as a, a learning pivot rather than something that really took you out. Yeah, um, I do have a positive mindset. Uh, so the way that I shifted my physical strengths was turned into like a mental strength of I can gain strength again and I can actually help others from what I've been through. Uh, and that's when I started my educational journey on uh, sports science and, and coaching. Mm -hmm. And before going into sports science and then getting into coaching, did you ever imagine being a coach? Like I remember myself in high school and having good coaches and bad coaches, but never once was like, did I think, oh, coaching is a thing I could do at some point? It was just like somebody who was there. Yeah, it's funny. I think when you're a child, you don't really realize how much the coach has influence over what you do uh, and direction. I never thought when I was younger and even going into my degree, I, I, only, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn and be well-educated for myself but as I was going through it it's like wait a minute I enjoy learning about the human body and I enjoy helping others and I'm a little bit of a smiling assassin so I'd always make my friends do the hard workouts with me or the hard runs or the hard swimming sessions so I was onboarding um, my friends to do these training sessions and that's when I was like oh I could actually be a coach because I love allowing, giving people the opportunity to grow and giving people the opportunity to do something that they never thought they could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sort of empowerment is, is so beautiful. And I mean, that's, I don't think that's the place where everyone comes from to be a coach probably, but I think that having that at your core, you know, definitely emanates out through the energy and, and the smiles and I'm sure is just going to be drawing more and more people to you for that. Um, I'm curious about the sort of evolution as Beck, the coach, you know, going to school and learning that I'm sure there was a lot of like, you know, science and um, great for maybe writing workouts and whatnot. And I'm curious as you sort of evolve and grew your ability let continue to learn, like how much of the sort of mental stuff came in, was that something you learned in school or is that something you learned kind of through experience? It's, um, it's funny. You learn, I think, through experience mostly. Um, you learn how to read people and personalities. It, I think in school you, you, didn't, you, know, you, you get knowledge of personality tests and all of, like, <laughs> the textbook um, way that you can help people grow but 
I, I really, it was experience, experience and then selected education. Mm -hmm. Was there any sort of point or maybe piece of ed education that kind of like really like tuned you into like how important that sort of mental personality relating piece was? Honestly, it, it, it's from your own personal experiences as well. Like, so you think about how you feel in a session, you think about the emotional roller coaster rides that you go through a program, um, the days where you don't want to do um, a run or a ride or a swim. Like, uh, so I think that having, you know, being an athlete myself and then applying, you know, what's actually going on within within the brain and the body, physically and mentally, and then what load like the individual is under helps me define and like coach. And I think I just fell in love with understanding the human that you're working with, as well as like bringing in your own experiences um, and knowledge. And I still do to this day. Um, like, yeah. I love working with all types of people. Well, I think that's a, it's an interesting experience. Like for me, I haven't done a lot of, I I do one-on-one -on -one coaching as like a more of a life coach, a holistic life coach. So there's not a lot of like workout writing and things like that. It's very one-on-one. -on -one, so you're very much in that sort of like relating to that person where they're at. But recently I did a 10 week half marathon program with a group and it was like, quite a bit of diversity within that group so for me that was a very different experience from like oh, okay like we're gonna you know in my mind we were gonna do eight miles today but some of the people actually aren't maybe ready for that and then there's a variety of you know what somebody's zone two or slow run looks like and so mm -hmm. it was a very really interesting experience to navigate the nuance of even a group as small as like 10 people 12 people so I'm I'm curious, like, did you start with your coaching? Was it more one-on-one -on -one or did you go straight into the sort of group dynamic? It was more one-on-one -on -one at the start. And I actually started with strength and conditioning coaching. So I think with, with lifting, you're learning a lot of techniques and like the individual goes through um, a learning pattern. Um, but that learning pattern is just as much physical as it is mental. Because, like I said previously, like being being a child and going into that, like you have no fear, but as an adult, it's like there is different, um, yeah, a di different hurdles to jump over. But after I did one on one for a while, and then got into group settings, um, and the group setting tends to be a little bit more playful than the one-on-one -on -one coaching. In terms of like the, I imagine the one-on-one -on -one can be a little bit more precise maybe in terms of what you're going through versus the group has to be a little bit more, a little more spaciousness maybe. Yeah, like I think individually, the way that I like to coach people is you're working on functionality. So you're working on the way that their body moves, um, very precise, very tailored to them. Um, and you're also working on their different types of motivation and, and their mentality and so say how 
you know, their background of where they came from, what sports they were in, to what motivates them. Um, so it's very individualized um, mentally and physically and spiritually, like for that person. And then you jump into a group setting. And like you just said, you know, you 10 people that have different personalities, they have <laughs> different uh, motives, and then they, their bodies all function differently. Um, and they can, they all, you know, adaptation might be different um, from one to the other. So the group setting, I tend to have it more playful and pair people up where, where possible. And that tends to work well um, from a coaching perspective and unison. So getting them to feel like they're working as a team. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I find like that, that group aspect is it brings so much um that almost feels like intangible um like you can't necessarily measure that sort of teamwork supportive accountability all of those elements that really just like make it a very rich and dynamic experience that um i think for me when i've done the group stuff it's been like it's given me a lot of that i often will leave feeling more replenished than when i went in and as much as I do love alone time and, and solo training, um, it's often feeling a little bit more depleted maybe after some of those sessions compared to the group stuff. Yeah, I totally get that. It's it definitely, I think as humans, we crave that, that socialness too, like being around others, um, having you know, com different conversations that makes it less serious than when I'm by myself training. And, you know, I still like to have a smile, but I tend to be like you, Ryan. I'm like, oh, that was hard. <laughs> I think I just, <laughs> I worked myself so hard and you're like depleted trying to replenish. Um, um, yeah, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting about working with adults, essentially. And there's they don't necessarily have that freedom that a child or a young person or teenager is going to maybe have going into sport. There's like, like you mentioned the fear, you know, there's a serious lack of fear as a kid to like try something and fall down, get back up. And there's also, you know, most children will just run functionally well, you know, in their natural state. But as we get older and sprain ligaments and joints and break bones and sit at desks more and more um you know there's the mental fear side and then there's also just like a dysregulation in our our movement patterns i guess that i'm curious like as you work with adults how much of that you see and is there a kind of going back to the basics with some people where it's like oh maybe you want to run a half marathon but actually let's kind of see if you can do a squat or walk in a little bit more healthy manner yeah for sure i have i coached for a very long time um in schools from grades seven to twelve and at that age they still were you know they would they were motivated to do anything that you tell them to do uh it was an all-girls school actually called king couple in australia and they would be so fast at, at learning new skill sets, like their motor neurons, like musculoskeletal systems would just be 
um, adapting <laughs> like really well. Um, obviously, some people would have imbalancements and, and things like that when working strength into running, but they never question running form, for an example. They just went out and ran. Um, and like kids at a park, and I, I know my son, we had run club this morning, he's the same. Like kids just go out and they run and they tend to run with perfect form. <laughs> They're not thinking about it. Um, and I, I think that's over time, we as adults, you know, we, we roll our shoulders forward. We're looking at a screen. We're like, we're sitting a lot. We are not moving the same way as a child. So I think that we have different postural alignments that we need to work on before we get into movement patterns. Um, and I often find that it's correcting those first with an adult before Go, like before teaching them a skill set of actually how to run um and I will also say like with a running example again is if people are learning how to run at a later age they're often not taught the biomechanics of running or they never were taught so you think of any other sport like basketball you learn how to dribble you learn how to shoot hoops running if you didn't do track when you were younger and you're learning how to break down your biomechanics of, of how to run then you never learn that skill set and it's harder for your musculoskeletal system and yeah just muscle recruitment and posture alignment like to learn that at a later age so if you have bad posture and then you're going into running so you pick it up at, at 30 because you've just decided that it's easy it's quick it's accessible i'm going to leave out the door you start running um with poor form and poor posture it puts you into this position of creating a bad habit i don't like to say that but like a bad habits because you'd never learn and then when you go to learn you're rewiring so you're rewiring your whole body to learn how to run correctly. Um, so it's 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 tougher if you have never learned that sport before. Yeah, and I have a follow up. I uh, we just have this little uh, vacuum thing that just turned on and started motoring around this room. So I'm just gonna put it off. Okay. <laughs> Was it one of those little robots that do it for yeah. you? We um, just got it a couple of weeks ago and it's like somewhat helpful, but also just like turns on at weird times and always like gets stuck and hits me in the feet and unplugs my cords. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Time Control your robots, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think, I think that that's very interesting. And, and also um, the running pattern piece, like when I started working with one of my mentors and coaches, um, he had me doing like infant development movements, which was almost like learning how to crawl with my neck and core um, almost to like, yeah, reset to then rebuild some of that wiring 
um, after I had the ACL uh, surgery. And I just thought it was so interesting, like that whole process and just so many people, you know, running does seem like it's very accessible. It just only you know, need some shoes. You go to the door, you start running and, you know, before you know it, you're running long distances. And, you know, I just did the, the Rose Bowl half marathon and there was many people that I ran by where I'm like, you're going to be injured if you keep running like this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, every day my husband's always like, stop picking on people you don't know. And I was like, I just want to help them. I see someone running down the street. I was like, I just want to help you. <laughs> like you read the research about runner's knee and about how many, you know, people get knee injuries and hip injuries and foot injuries. 60% of the time it's from running the way that they're running um, and their postural alignment. So uh, it's interesting what you said about the injury when you had your ACL injury, because people often, it takes an injury for them to actually go back to the beginning and they're trying to, you know, rehab that injury. Um, but what they need to do is start from scratch again. So they're actually going through their whole posterior chain or their whole body alignment from their feet up to, to work on this one injury. And you'll notice that, you know, if it was the left side, you get stronger on that left side because you're putting so much attention into it. Um, but they realize that those small movements and that, that, that small change that they make helps them get stronger. And then it's like, something ticks they're like oh light bulb moment if I do the little things I actually do get stronger so it, like what are my little work-ons that I need to work on for my imbalances and how can I help myself be a better runner or learn how to squat or how whatever functional movement or sporting um, movement you're, you're doing so I thought that was interesting. Did you end up getting stronger on that one side? You know, I'm I'm still stronger on the uninjured side, which is interesting. It's been a it's been a challenging recovery. Uh, I've realized part of that is um just like more deeply at my core, like a bit of a dysregulated nervous system. So there's been a lack of just sort of flow and vitality. And I don't think that my knee has been able to like get the attention it needs because I'm in this kind of like survival stress state too often. So, um, because I actually did my right ACL about eight years ago and mm -hmm. I was you know, like two times and never thought about it. And I was in a better place just like physiologically at that time. And it healed great. Yeah. It's one I've put so much energy and time into, and it's just been challenging. And another thing I only realized in hindsight is I was living in this building where it was like two or three flights of stairs up and down. And so once I started walking again, I started going up and down, well, specifically down the stairs in trying to protect the knee Yeah. early post-surgery days and just totally almost like threw out a lot of the like good physio work early on by just creating really weird movements and like 
unconscious protective mechanisms for that. And so um, I've learned to be a lot more patient and, but yeah, it's chipping away at those little things, like those little exercises that rebalance, bring that back online and get the proper like recruitment, I guess, you know, there's like, I think that's such a easy thing with injuries, whether it's like a bad sprain or breaks or things like that, where like our bodies will almost learn to jump certain recruitment steps that we need for that healthy functional movement and that you know will cause a lot of issues down the road yeah and often regress the move forward it's funny how we we do like to oh we can skip this and then you no we can't skip this we need to come back we need to go back um yeah but favoring when you're favoring that one side when you're injured, you're hobbling up the stairs. It does make sense of um, regressing and causing other um, postural, um, just, I don't want to say badness, but like postural, like soreness where you're like, why does my right hip hurt? It's my left knee. Um, I see that a lot. That has been interesting. But in turn, yeah, going back to like, some of the basics, that same coach, he had me go to a, a Nuka chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would go and stand on like two scales with one on each foot so they could see some imbalance and they would do an adjustment, which is like, it felt like it was just like him, like tapping on my neck basically, or on the back of my top of my spine, I guess. And, um, you know, so subtle, but over a few um, visits to this guy, I, there was like a really noticeable difference in that like weight distribution between the two legs. And as like the person, I never could have guessed what that, it would have been like, you know, 20% off, you know, day one, and it got down to like 5% or something like that. But we adapt to the imbalance so easily that it's, it's almost impossible to see it ourselves. Yeah. So true. And how many people I've seen with like one leg looking like it's longer than the other. It's the same thing. It's like the reason why you have that different weight distribution um, it's often comes from the hips too and the neck. Yeah, I was going to say, because people often are like, oh, my left leg is longer, or my right leg is shorter, whatever it is. But probably more often it is just like a hip or mm-hmm. spine. Yeah. It comes from there probably more. In, in women, I often see like a lordosis of the pelvis. So it's like turns your, your, your butt out. Um, and then what that causes is like weakness and instability of the hips. Uh, and then it'll cause like a hip hike. Like one side will be rotated up, which is your hips are actually out of alignment instead of your legs actually being one longer than the other. Mm-hmm. And your point before of like the running injuries, you know, people I'm sure to say this to you that maybe don't know you super well is like, don't your knees get sore? Don't you like, don't you get like, you know, there's a, such a stigma around like running's bad for your knees. Yeah. My feeling or impression that I understand is like, if you run with proper form and your skeleton is like well set up, it shouldn't be bad for your knees. And you're right. And also add in strength training. So if you are running correctly, like there's 
a few things. Form is definitely one. So if you're new to running or you're looking to get into running a little bit more uh, or perform better, you, you need to check out your running form. But also check out your anatomy. So how are you standing? Try and balance on one leg. Okay, do you have one leg stronger than the other? Because running is just that simple act of and balancing act of one, going from left to right foot, really, in simple forms. So you need to learn if you can balance on both those feet the same. Um, strength training helps um, because it allows you to kind of build an armor for your running. So think of it as um musculoskeletal support for the thousands of steps that you would repetitively take in a day um and core strength and hip strength like specifically and feet that's the three main things that I always say to my runners is strong core strong steering wheel which the steering wheel is your hips uh, and your glutes um, and then the little tiny things that you can do in your feet so do weights, do stability without shoes on. Feel all those tiny little muscles, like stabilizing muscles switch on. Um, you have strong feet. That's how you hit the ground. No matter what you're doing, you have strong feet. It'll work its way up your body to be nice and strong. And then obviously you have to have a good program and a good support system. Yeah. And I think with running specifically, and for me, you know, coming off that ACL, um, running was a little bit of a slow getting back into it. So I got a bike and then I, I was like, well, I better learn how to swim and start doing some triathlon. But it was just like, you know, years ago before that injury, I was not an amazing runner, but pretty good. Uh, at least the best I had ever been and felt pretty strong. And then even a couple of years off getting into triathlon and seeing people getting into running now, it's like, it is such a long-term uh, like activity, like thing yeah. endurance wise, it's like, it's just little bits over time. And that goes to your point about like a good program and a coach that knows where you're at and how to build that up, you know, with the different types of intensity, building that muscular endurance, um, you know, whether that involves groups and solo, but like, you know, you mentioned like hundred K is your favorite race, but it's like, you've been doing endurance sport for, you know, since a teenager. So it's like, and you know, you mentioned you had to sort of rebuild at one point, but there's a, a certain sort of engine that you've been building for a long time that helps you go into that. And just like, yeah, this is a, a long-term evolution and building process oh and I always I always announce that to my my athletes like people that follow me I'm like I don't want you to think this is easier this didn't just happen overnight endurance is something that you build um, and it requires different types of training um, different intensities and the macro cycles are so much bigger than what people realize so you're thinking you're looking at years of of building up a base um and then layering into that base I always like to use the uh, house analogy of like that foundation of endurance like I started when I was 12 years old um 
and you continue to build, you obviously have off periods and like regress and then push forward like every program and you have your peaks throughout the years and the seasons and things like that but you have to have you have to build that foundation and depending on whether you're going into sprint triathlon like Ironman half marathon full marathon or at 100k like they all take different amounts of times to build that foundation Um, but once you have that then you start building the house. So you can build the framework and the roofing and get the plumbing in and the <laughs> electrical. But that, that analogy, like it seems to make sense to, to me when I describe it and to others when I describe it because they're like, oh, this took time. So it's like if you're in endurance sport, you need to, you, you know, you know that this takes time but it's just like how much time depends on the individual, depends on the background, depends on, you know, what sport you did when you were growing up. Uh, What are you currently doing? Where's your fitness level at now? Um, Are you a sprinter or were you into cross country? Like what did you do Um, and where can we go from, from there? But yeah, it's, it's not a short game. Endurance is not a short game. It comes with, with the name. And I think like for me anyways, it's like remembering that. Like, oh right. You know, because I'm curious, like for what you see, maybe less so with yourself, but maybe more with with the people that you coach and work with. Like going on Instagram, you know, if you start following a couple elite athletes, then your algorithm is showing you a lot of elite athletes. And it's so easy to be like, oh, they're doing this workout and this person's doing this and I'm, I'm crap compared to them. And it's like so easy to get like a bit of a warped view and be like, oh yeah, that person's been doing this like six days a week for the last 15 years. And I started a year and a half ago. Yeah. It's it's Instagram, like social media is even Strava and like different apps like that where you're comparing yourself, mm-hmm. especially with a female athlete and maybe you could speak to males, but I think they're the same. Like you're automatically just have a comparison. Um, you have no idea what that person has been doing. Like even with the elite athletes that you, you see, like they've been training like this for, you know, a solid maybe five to ten years before they you know that is their job it's now their job to do this so I just my my tip there would be never compare yourself know where you came from what you're building towards and and the road to get there so it's it's like every human body is different. Like your your journey is going to be different to anyone else that you see online. Um, my journey is completely different to yours. Uh, we have different backgrounds, different sporting. You have different injuries. So my body language is different to yours. My ability is different. So it's just knowing that comparing is unhealthy And what that actually does is like you go and do those crazy sessions that someone might put online and then injure yourself because you're A, not doing it right, you're not ready for it, 
or you don't recover from it and you go back into a session the next day. Um, and it's just not healthy mentally or physically um, for the body to compare or try things that they're just not ready for. So, yeah, don't compare yourself. Social media is great in a way where it can motivate you. I would say channel that into like a positive thing, like, wow, look at that person. They are really crushing it. That motivates me to go out and do my session because I'm on a great program and I'm in the right direction for me. Yeah, I do think it's that double-edged sword of like finding inspiration and maybe connecting with like, you know, other groups or other athletes to to train with or work with and 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 learn education from. And then yeah, the comparison piece, which is really the best way to be unhappy through it all, probably is getting lost and and also like that person who's doing the super impressive workout, you know, might be really unhappy. And so do you really want to be like them in that, you know, holistic? Yeah. No, no one really knows. They only put up what they want you to see. <laughs> um, so you briefly mentioned um, like recovery and I'm just, before we go into the, the world of her, I want to touch on like some of the the key kind of like lifestyle pieces that you would really like encourage to promote, whether that's sleep, nutrition, what good recovery looks like. Cause I also think like, you know, we're very much in a culture of like doing everything intensely. And now there's this whole recovery industry, um, which is good, but also it's like doing recovery super hard with like 40 degree ice baths and like massage guns turned to the max and like all this stuff too yeah my my advice for recovery is actually to keep it simple and to create a recovery plan that you will do so um accessible is always like one of the words that I would say so if there's something that you can do like as simple as going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning. I feel like that, that is very achievable. Um, with nutrition, I find this very important and something that you can manage and should be able to do every day. So nutrition for me and, and what I coach and teach my athletes is training around the day so training around you know making sure you you're getting up and having that that great meal but training around and snacking around your sessions so my good rule of thumb is like eating 30 to 60 minutes before a workout and having that that good protein and carbohydrates to fuel you for performance um, which helps you recover so people often look at recovery as things that they need to do after a session, um, but it's not. It's it's things that you do before a, se a session. So then after the session, your body can adapt to that, recover, and then go move on to the next session. So eating uh, 30 to 60 minutes before and then having some protein and carbohydrates within 30 minutes of finishing that heart session. Um, with women, I often find that, they're like afraid to eat as much food as they should. Um, and I wish I could ruin, I could 
just take away all the fad diets in the world and <laughs> really show them what they need nutritionally to perform um, because often the nutrition and the, the, the output is completely off for, for female athletes. So that nutrition helps. And obviously you have your, your protein, your carbohydrates and, and your good fats, so your macronutrients like all throughout the day, not just eating. That's not fast. <laughs> like Let's eat to be able to recover. Uh, hydration is very important recovery um so like i said these are basic things but they're things that you can control so instead of just drinking plain water look at what electrolytes you can have make sure you start the day hydrated so don't wake up and just go straight to coffee like try and drink a glass of water these are things that you you're preparing your body like i said for performance to then recover well um and then I'm a big believer in foam rolling, massages when you can. It gets a little bit on the, you know, you need someone else maybe for that, that release. But doing mobility can help the body kind of loosen up um, and get ready for that next session. But mobility, massage, foam rolling, the massage gun, pretty good when you when you have one. Like you, I, like I'm a big fan, but I don't use it every day. I I use it when I use tools. So I'll have like my massage gun and my my foam roller there as tools to help me do my recovery sessions. Um, yeah. So I would bring it back to basics with recovery. Um, so you just sleep, nutrition, hydration, tools to help you recover mobility. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think like the foam roller is like often overlooked these days with all the other like sexy tools, but like, it's pretty affordable and really a great tool for, for helping work through that, especially if like, you're not getting massages and, and that sort of body work. So anyway, yeah. I recommend that too. Often I look. I have a date with my foam roller most evenings, <laughs> but I I put it in the calendar Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So it's like it's the the reminder. Like you did a hard session, you need to give back to your body. Yeah, that's great. I think scheduling that stuff too is a really good tip because it's so easy to forget it or it gets close to bed and you just don't feel like doing it. But like getting it on the calendar is is helpful even though it does sound kind of funny <laughs> yeah i i have to because otherwise i won't make time for myself like to give back to myself so i often tell that my athletes like you you need to feel like the structure gives you freedom so like putting things in your calendar is not a selfish move it's almost like a this is just a reminder hey Hey B, you need to go have that date with your foam roller. <laughs> it gets a healthy reminder. Totally. Um, I think the point you made too about female athletes um, not eating enough. I think definitely from my experiences of as a man and also what I've seen in other males, like there's definitely that going on as well. Um, and for me, like I was doing sort of like 
keto-ish diet, you know, intermittent fasting, and then getting into back into endurance sport, getting into triathlon stuff. It was really challenging, um, actually, to let go of that and be like, oh, actually, I need to eat quite a bit more and things that like, you know, are shameful if you were remotely in that sort of like keto sort of space as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. all the the carbs and, you know, eating rice and like all this kind of stuff, which is just necessary fuel for the body if you're doing consistent endurance training really of any kind but I found it quite challenging and I know other people do as well but um and I had to kind of learn a little bit in the hard way of like you know a week or two of relatively solid training in like a calorie deficit was just like a really fast way to burn out and then make poor decisions and end up injured or exhausted yeah and I I coach a lot of females and that's why I was speaking to females, but I do see this in, in males as well. Any endurance athlete, like it is extremely hard to fuel yourself correctly because of the amount that you're burning through. Calories we can look at as like a a marker, so kind of like a, but I don't like to count just off calories because the nutritional value of food and the way that your your body processes can be different. But you think about like if you go from keto into and you're doing endurance, the body needs carbohydrates to actually function. Like I, yeah, it always baffles me of like because we get stuck in our ways, and and most of the time when you're when you're an endurance athlete, you do, you're a type A personality or you're pretty headstrong. So you're like, I'm sticking to this keto. I'm going to do it. But I'm also doing endurance. Like that would have been a hard lesson for you because that not having the energy to, to push into your workouts and then burn out, like that hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. So I think as your training goes on within the program, so you can see, you know, you might be building 10% extra each week. So that might be intensity or or duration, or you're adding more to your program. I think it's always really wise to, to check yourself every, every two to three weeks on like how much you're actually burning, um, burning or how much you're needing um to make your to give back to your body to perform so you have if you want to work off calories like you have like a a calories that you need within a day and then whatever you're burning on top of that you need to replenish so for me it's like I'm my basal metabolic rate is 1500 calories for instance we'll just use calories as an example if I go out and do a session it might be I might be burning a thousand calories so you think about those numbers together that's a lot of food for for me to consume like you you need 3000 calories just to function within that day mm-hmm. um, and men are often higher with their because you know they weigh more 
um, they have more muscle uh, and they're starting from, you know, more like the 2000s, 2500. And then you're going, you know, going on two sessions a day, for instance, if you're doing triathlons and, and you need to add another 1500 calories. So you're burning more too. So I think it's just good to remember, like, to have those check-ins for nutrition. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And I found a couple of times, like throughout the last couple of years, I would be like, okay, this week I'm going to like write down everything I'm eating and consciously be like, how am I feeling? Mm-hmm. So, like there was a time and probably the ideal scenario is we would just be so attuned to how we're feeling and, and what we're eating. And we would naturally find that balance. But I think for me and probably many other people, there's, there's a level of disconnection and then there's a new integration of like these tracking tools, which we can either become reliant on, or we can use as a way to like guide ourselves back into that connection. But for me, it, it was almost necessary to use like my aura ring and, you know, like the, the running watch or bike computer and heart rate monitor to be like, okay, yeah just like on any average day, it's going to be 2,100 to 2,400 calories. And then if I'm going for, yeah, two, three, four hours of, of training in a day, that's like another 1,500 plus maybe. So it's like eating 4,000 calories is a lot of food. And yeah, I'm using that measure just because it's just a good kind of catch all without getting into the details of like, okay, can't be running this like calorie um deficit for very long no no and that, I, I love that you mentioned that because like those tools bring awareness um and it's kind of like oh <laughs> light bulb moment we need to stay on top of this yeah because it's easy, like it's not that hard to do a calorie deficit on like a normal day without training I find mm-hmm. if I'm you know in that just over 2000 like it's easy to eat healthy for a day and be at like 16, 1800, but yeah, you can start doing like a, a hard run or a big bike ride. And like, you're really going to dig yourself a hole quickly if you're not feeling the, the engine. Yeah. And I will say another thing, just to add to that on the recovery days as well, that's when people often eat less and we can't afford to do that in endurance sports you look at recovery as like another day of, of training. It's it's a day that you actually can replenish. And all of that adaptation happens when you're recovering and you're resting. So don't eat less just because you're not doing the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. Give back to your body on those days. Yeah. So let's move into her sports, her trails. Um, I'm curious to know sort of the inception of this. Was it after you were in LA that you started thinking about this and when did it originally launch? Cause I actually found you and your work through her sports when you were training, um, a group of women for the Malibu try. And I started seeing some of the content around that. Um, that was like my introduction and I was like, Oh, this looks really cool. Yeah. I think her has evolved in many ways. Um, since 2019 so 2019 I was 
it all originally started in 2018 actually like the the thought the the um this is what LA needs <laughs> the, the community the the support the education but I was training um, a group of women so 40 women to do their first ever marathon for Nike it was called Nike Women's Marathon Project and 2018 I was coaching them holistically to do this marathon and I had to build them up for over 16 weeks to do their this marathon throughout that experience I did learn a lot as a coach um, and like I said different personalities and different backgrounds uh, and the joy that bringing women together through an in like often running is looked at as an individual sport so bringing women together to train most days of the week brought me back to that um camp style like old school days of my training where the individual sport becomes a team sport and that with running unless you're in a running community like you don't get that you, you're running most of the time on your own um so that project finished and I was a single mom at the time uh in LA in West Hollywood where people were just go out to like meet people and I was like I don't have time to do that I want to create a community that's her supporting her uh the movement will be around running because I don't want to run alone in LA and I also don't want to go out and socialize in other ways like I, I wanted to keep training um and then it evolved uh from just running to strength training to the holistic approach of learning about the female physiology, learning about hormonal health. Um, and it, her sports became not just running, like you said, you found this with triathlon. So it evolved to 150 people coming running to like people moving into the triathlon world. They're like, oh, we can run. Let's dabble into triathlons. And the whole concept of her was just creating a space where she felt comfortable to run. She felt educated and supported and everyone could give back to each other. So in order to join the community, you're giving back to your fellow runner. Um, her sports is road running and triathlons and strength training. And then I noticed the difference between, and you can speak to this, right, is the trail goer and the road runner, triathlete, two different types of people. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've been both. Um, and I often dabble in both. But a lot of people do not do that. So they're either on trail or they're on road and they're a triathlete. So... Her trails was created with my business partner, Samantha Gash, and it was created to form a online platform where she can feel educated and build resilience and safety awareness to get out and adventure more. So they're now two different platforms. Yeah. Serving her. 
And I think that um, general, I mean, I think going out and adventuring more in the trails is, you know, there's specific information that's good for that. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, you're really empowering, you know, women specifically to go out and adventure more because, I mean, triathlon is a funny sport, I guess, because it is pretty involved. It's pretty intense. It's a big commitment. Um, It's not something that a lot of people do. Um, and so even like taking, you know, people who are getting more comfortable on the road into triathlon, that's like taking people into an adventure for sure. Uh, yeah. The ocean alone is like more than a lot of people <laughs> want to take on. So I'm yeah. like, you know, your experience with sort of growing people beyond what they thought they were capable of taking them into these like realms of adventure and you know, outside the lines for the most part, be it in trails or triathlon and swimming in the ocean and all this stuff. Is it just a slow process or do you have people that are just ready to go for it straight away? Maybe it's a mix. I would go back to what we said about like teaching an adult versus teaching a child. It's every, every woman and man that I've taught is different in like considering their background so for an example if they've never been in the ocean before and they're going from road running to learning how to open water swim there is a lot of steps to get them to feel comfortable um, in the ocean and for the Malibu triathlon uh, we actually teamed up with um with just lifesavers to help us actually get the you know get the skill set to be able to feel comfortable in the water. Um, It all starts with stroke, like learning how to swim in a pool first and then you're learning how, like, you know, the ways of the ocean because that's that's a a whole (laughs) whole chapter in itself Um, and then learning how to swim um, to navigate yourself so you make sure you get to the buoy like to to be able to look up when you swim so it depends on their background um, and what they're jumping into uh, but for the triathlon programs the beginner and intermediate will be um, kind of set together so I like to give you know I'm there as the coach to to teach these things but also there'll be someone else that has done it before, which that's why we always go back to her supporting her is, yes, we will give you the steps to get there, but oftentimes when you see someone else do it or you have someone in between the coach and the beginner to help you realise that it's achievable, um, it works um, mentally. But there is many steps from going from a road runner to a triathlete. Like you put them on a bike, for example, like getting a bike, getting fitted. There is a lot that goes into uh, triathlons as a, as a whole sport. And people don't realise when they're signing up, they're like, oh, triathlon, ride, swim, run. Okay, got it. And then it's like, oh, I need to get a bike. Oh, what do I need to swim with? <laughs> so just having like... We have like gear checks to um, the how-tos to just the basic information that, um, you know, everyday triathletes would not think about anymore. How to put a wetsuit on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's so many 
That's, I mean, I, most of my like education came from like hours and hours of YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of helpful, but it's also very different from like going, meeting with your team, walking through, you know, cause it can be so stressful just to be like, okay, what do I put in this transition? How do I yeah this gear out? What do I need? What, well, you know, forgetting something and then realizing, oh yeah, I really need this thing. And then. There's so many components, the peeling strategy is different. Like, yeah, it's, it's a really like complex sport. It is a complex sport and trail running can be the same. Uh, if you're going out there for, you know, a day of running, it's like you, you need gear, you need safety gear, you need weather gear, food, like what pack to wear, how to run on trails. It's the same thing. So her, Trails and her sports both have very detailed education and it's all about helping her, like you said, about getting out on that adventure, whatever she chooses to do, um, because it's not easy. And I found that a lot of women were not getting into these sports because they didn't know how to. Um, and they didn't feel like they had an environment capable to teach them. Not capable, I would say more friendly to, to teach them in a way where like no question is a silly question. Like you just you just ask us and we'll tell you yes or no. Like, do I put leave my swimmers on under my wetsuit? <laughs> like how do I do this? It's like no one likes to be the new kid on the block, but it's like yeah, it's good to be there to support her in whatever she needs. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And it's, yeah, there are so many questions. Um, before the Malibu try, I did, uh, I work, was working with two times you and did like, a, we did a brick workout and I didn't know how many people were going to show up. I kind of expected like 10 and there was like 40 people and they're just like random people that had signed up for this race and like three quarters of them, it was their first triathlon ever. Oh. And like, I was like, so any questions? And just the like peppering of random questions was was really eye-opening to like where people are coming at for this and I'm like also like look I didn't realize how much I knew for one and also thank god somebody was here to answer some of these questions for people <laughs> yeah yeah I'm so glad that you were there you're like oh I thought this was a breath work session but hey <laughs> this is good um so I think like you know you kind of mentioned like providing the space that is friendly and relatable but also like inspiring like you know content you share through your instagram through the her platforms is you know aesthetically considered like there's a cool vibe it looks good like there's nice photos and i feel like that's also a huge spot when it comes to you know i guess outside of road running because there's more of that out there but like the triathlon space, the trail running to like show people like this can be for you. And it like looks cool and looks like something that's like inspiring to be a part of. And I wonder if that's just a side of it that's come naturally to you or if that's something you've kind of consciously developed too. It was conscious because I, when I first got into triathlons, it was not cool. <laughs> I can't. 
and sorry to all the triathletes out there um this was years ago when like the sport you know wasn't even in the olympics when i started um same with trail running it was it was new and there were not many women in this space um and it was often that a a type personality where it's like they put their head down and then they go into their training sessions and it's an individual sport and away they go for both sides triathlons and and trail running and I realized that it can be social and I mean there's so many triathlon clubs out there now um, and same with trail racing it's it's really evolved as the years have come on but I think people often look at these groups as like you guys are crazy (laughs) like this is insane I can't do this so I wanted to put a little bit of a this can be cool um element to it um I think it comes naturally as well like people are more inclined especially during COVID they were like out on trails more um they were doing more sports from home um, so it, it allowed a different influx of people to come through um, for her sports and her trails where they, you know, created time for themselves or they were okay to jump into a sport that they had never tackled before. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely good silver lining. <laughs> but it, I also want people to feel... Um, that side of themselves where they can push it themselves outside of their comfort zones and they can explore new roads and new paths and new trails. Like it's funny what social media does because it's like, oh, that looks cool. I'll go try that instead of like, that looks hard. Um, That's not for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that like, even that like just subtle difference of like exploring new roads can really be pretty cool like I only ran one marathon and it was in when I was living in Vancouver in 2015 but like I just ran my same loops all the time and then I was like okay if I'm gonna sign up I'm gonna join this like local running shops you know marathon it was like really short it was like eight weeks maybe or something like that like just kind of like the last bit um but like going on those runs, I saw like areas of the city I had never seen before. And I just never would have gone and done that if I didn't, I wasn't with a group that I felt safe with and I could trust would like lead me on this, uh, you know, couple hours, a few hours out there. And I've had a couple similar experiences like that too. And I think that's such a like awesome kind of side effect of joining these groups is like you just get to experience parts of your own city that you just probably never would have seen without it yeah exactly and then that is motivation in itself you're running the same route every day it's like I get where you're coming from because you're just leaving out the door and you just I know this way I know this is a 10 mile loop I'm going to do my 10 mile loop today I'm going to do my five mile loop and you just get into this habit where you're running the same paths um but exploring new trails and new terrain and like meeting new people can really spice up your training um and your motivation levels and obviously if you're training on new terrain um you recruit different muscles as well so i highly recommend <laughs> like joining a group 
or just having a day where you actually go, oh, I'm going to choose a new route today. Uh, I'm going to explore new roads or new trails, or even I'm going to go out and find some greenery because I know that it's going to make my soul feel good. Um, yeah, I highly recommend new paths always. I noticed you used like miles a couple of times there. I wonder if coming from Australia, did it take you long to figure out the conversion? <laughs> long. Not to figure out the conversion, more it's like speaking to kilometers for such a long time and paces. It's so funny. Like the Americans would be like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? I'm like, you know, the metric system, the one that everyone else <laughs> works on. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I think two solid years. <laughs> yeah, it is funny because I, coming from Canada, we just use kilometers as well. And so yeah. I would be like, okay, we're going at this pace and this distance. And people are like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I got a watch recently and I just like let it stay in its default mile settings. So I'm I'm starting to get a good hang of it. But beside my treadmill, I have a, a handwritten like conversion chart so I can like, <laughs> yeah. when I'm talking yeah. to people. I often put, um, I mean, you've probably done these sessions too, like 1K repeats uh, into, it's very common in like road and triathlon world um, and testing uh, session for running. And I, I'll leave it as kilometers. So people, especially if they're new to running, they're like, so what's a kilometer? <laughs> and I'm like, ha, <laughs> your turn to learn. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. So yeah, we'll kind of shift gears here. Um, and as I mentioned when we first came on, you're on the cusp of adding a new addition to your family. So yeah. love to kind of learn a little bit about your experience. You know, you mentioned you have got an almost a six-year-old. Um, you know, maybe like what that experience with the knowledge you had then you know, your training over that pregnancy, how you worked with your body versus this time when you've got another five years of education. And I imagine more education specifically around like female physiology and hormones and that sort of how you've approached, um, yeah, you're just healthcare lifestyle training throughout this pregnancy. Yeah. I will say that, uh, every pregnancy is different and every female is is different and my pregnancy from my first pregnancy to this pregnancy is also different so your pregnancy can be different within the same female um i with Bo, which is my six-year-old son uh i was you know i was educated in a way where i'd done my sports science degree i'd done my pre and postnatal like courses to be coaching but I never I didn't dive really deep into the experience that she goes through um so like my first pregnancy I think you're just absorbing everything you're kind of like yes your goals have changed from like a um, 100 100 kilometer program to a, a pregnancy program where you're training for labor <laughs> you're like I want to stay fit and healthy and kind of work within the world and the education that I know um times have definitely changed 
from five years ago to now, whereas they're starting to, you know, researchers studying and scientists and doctors are starting to understand the importance of moving throughout pregnancy if you can. And that has changed my experience this time around. I am still training for, for labor. Like, so that's like my new goal. It's like the ultra marathon is pregnancy because you're, I'm nine months now. So they lie to you. They say it's nine months, but it's actually 10. So the 10 months is a program that changes. Um, I, I prepped for this, this um, pregnancy this time around. So I'd say that there were five different um, phases throughout the pregnancy. So there's that phase one is that pre-pregnant, like let's get fit and healthy. Uh, and you might think that's funny coming from my background, but you still like you need to look after your hormonal health before you go into pregnancy. Um, for me, my journeys were a little bit different because I had two ectopics, um, a miscarriage, and then I had to go through IVF. So my pregnancy this time around was was a very challenging one. But I do believe that strength is built under load. And I took that as a, a learning curve and, and did learn a lot. So phase one is where you replenish, you you get your body nice and strong, you look after your hormone health. And you get ready to fall pregnant. And then when you are pregnant, you go into trimester one, which is phase two, where I, <coughs> excuse me, where you are not feeling the best. Let's be honest. Like for me, I was like weeks one to 14, and I'm sure your wife runs the same. I was nauseous. I felt sick. My movement was the days that I could move. I really wanted to um just get out and do whatever I could. Uh, for me, like I ran before pregnancy, so I could run within this pregnancy. And running was just like a, every day was a play day um, during that phase. Um, and phase three is when you go into your second trimester. Phase four is, is your third trimester. And, and phase five is that postpartum, which I call the fourth trimester. Um, and a lot of um, scientists and doctors call that the fourth as well. Um, training pregnant is different to training. The, the mental shift and the physical shift is, is huge uh, for the female and especially like a female athlete. Uh, you have to kind of tune into your body and understand what's happening. So the best advice I could give anyone that's like looking to become pregnant or is going through their own pregnancy journey is just to make sure that you know your base. So you know where you're coming from, know and educate yourself on what's happening hormonally um, within your systems and who you have to support you during these times. Don't be afraid to go, go and train because exercise is beneficial for yourself and it's beneficial for your baby just I would say like don't introduce anything new um, is kind of the, the the good rule of thumb there um, and listen to your body because it's so smart um, it'll tell you the days where you just 
you know, you don't want to lift in strength training or the days that you don't want to run. Um, but remembering those five phases um, and understanding what's happening within the female physiology during that time. Yeah, that's a great outline. And um, I think the point about like preparing to get pregnant is, is really important too, because I mean, I think in our world, there's like more than ever, there's probably a struggle for couples or women to get pregnant um, due to, you know, many factors, but like heavy stress loads, I think in the endurance space, there's tons of stories of women that train so hard that they aren't having their period every month. And that was that one time almost good. And now is like, people are realizing like, oh, that's probably not good and conducive to like overall health and listening to that, the hormonal cycles more. And yeah, you have to like create a body that can facilitate birth. Yeah. That is it's such, yeah, it's such a miracle for it to happen. I think it's often overlooked as well as like exactly what has to happen within the female body to become pregnant is like <laughs> so many steps. Like your body has to have a period. So you know, the average cycle is 28 days. I'll use mine as a, we'll use the 28 days as an example, but you can go up to 40, 40 days per cycle. But in the middle of that, you ovulate. And then the ovulation is like the time that you can get pregnant. But if you don't have a period and you're training really hard um, or you don't ovulate through, through your period because you're on contraception or something like that, like, you need to understand what your body is going through um, before trying to get pregnant or before going through this journey. Um, otherwise, it can be very heartbreaking um, for, your, for yourself to kind of not know. I'll go back to knowledge is power. So you have your hormone health. Um, you need to educate yourself uh, in order to get the best results just like you would if you're going and educating yourself on on sport on running or anything like that you'd go and source out a coach like I always say to my female athletes go see an OBGYN like <laughs> how long have you been on birth control for like do you know what happens when you are on birth control um do you know that it pauses your reproductive years like how long have you been on it? Like, let's work these things out before you go into that phase one. Um, so you're just not as heartbroken <laughs> when things are not operating the way that you think they should be because it's, it takes time and, and um, yeah, education. Yeah. I mean, I was very much in the passenger seat of this journey for, for us and our family and our, my partnership, but um yeah, seeing that process of getting off birth control and recalibrating and grateful to my partner for having the awareness to start that early enough so that when it was time to get pregnant, it actually could happen because it there was a big like rebalancing and recalibration period that took yeah. using that uh, birth control. Um, but I think, uh, so you mentioned, you know, finding a coach and you've kind of outlined these phases. So my 
feeling is this is something you're going to be creating a something you can share with people who are going to endeavor on this journey yeah and I think it comes back to your question of like how you know my first pregnancy was different with my second the second I feel like I I had more time and space to be able to create um, some education around pregnancy and training and specifically strength training and and running because I'd been through it before. It's funny how you kind of have to go through these experiences a couple of times, but then um, I feel, you know, I have five more years of education as well. And this program is more of a course than it is a program because you're you're self-selecting. Like, do have I done strength training before? Where am I at? Am I at body weight strength or am I using, you know, dumbbells and actually lifting up some barbells? Um, but it's designed for her to feel confident in selecting the movements that she can do throughout her pregnancy, no matter what stage she's in. Um, so whether it's the pre, the, the five phases that I just announced, um, yeah, and talks a lot about nutrition uh, and how to help your hormones, um, how to recalibrate, how to regulate, how to, when to put in a little bit more calories. <laughs> it talks about, you know, the different trimesters and, and how much you actually need to consume uh, food-wise. So, 100 extra calories in the first trimester, like 250 calories extra per day in the second, and then 450 in the in the third. Um, and it's just like little reminders. Like breath work is one which you would be a big fan of. <laughs> like pelvic floor health, like things that I wish I knew going into my first pregnancy um, is what I've tried to create for her. Yeah. Well, that sounds great and extremely valuable, I would think. Um, yeah. It's about the, the fourth trimester. I think we have a book by that title sitting around our living room somewhere right now. Yeah. And your sort of approach to that, because, you know, in, in some ways, like you see stories that are very much championed of women, like giving birth and going out and doing something extreme very soon after someone yeah. just have to go back to work uh very soon after unfortunately mm -hmm. uh, you know depending on what your job is but um you know we had found this book called the first 40 days and it's this very like slow almost like home cocooning period in in those first those those weeks after um i'm so I'm, I'm curious to know like what your perspective is on what you've learned on how to you know come out of pretty much the most intense human experience known to man of giving well not known to men known to women of giving birth <laughs> yeah known to women is <laughs> men i don't think will ever under understand and nor should they because they're not experiencing it you just watching and your perspective is completely different um I know for me my husband's always like you're a champion I don't know how women do this. if men were the ones being pregnant we would have come up with a different solution a long time ago um the first 40 days I love that book by the way 
I have read that. And I kind of like the the way that it it does formulate a sit month is what I would say. So like the sit month is like you just over the last 10 months of being pregnant, your body has changed more than a man's body has changed in a their entire lifetime, apparently. So they say. Um and you need to get your body back you need to not not in a physical way I just mean in a it's physical mental spiritual it's everything needs to be realigned um, and replenished so that first month is all about giving back to your body and learning this new world that you're in of you know feeding and an, another baby or or your first baby like learning the ropes and really, if you look at it, that's like the recovery period of that 10-month cycle that you just did. So that phase in the fourth trimester is all about recovery. And then you go into a rebuild. And then you can return to sport. But these, these sections depend on where you came from. So meaning like your background of, of, of sport how your delivery went, how your pregnancy went. So if you had a C-section, if you had a vaginal delivery um, into are you, how much time do you have? Like, unfortunately, in, in America, I often find that, like you just said, like women have to go back to work very quickly. And it's, in my opinion, too fast. <laughs> like, it's too fast. You're not fully recovered. And, and then that sets you back into returning to like the hobbies that you once love loved um and you also have a new member to look after so it's like you're wearing so many different hats um but then you're going into the the build build strength phase after that month so if you of you know you're having a six to 12 week recovery period where you might just be walking and, and healing your body and refueling and replenishing. But when you're building, it, it just depends on your experience um, and where you're at. So if you're having a C-section, you're obviously on that more that 12-week mark where you're, you know, returning to building your body back up. And if you're vaginal, it might be six to 12 weeks. Um, but my point is every human is different. So every woman's experience is completely different. So don't compare yourself to anyone else. Like there is a huge, like pre-baby weight. Um, I mean, you can't see my face right now, but I'm like running <laughs> quotations, like pre, pre-baby weight or pre-baby body that women put this pressure on themselves to get back to don't do that is all of my advice is like you need to replenish you need to rebuild and then return to sport when you are ready um but just create a great structure around having a good support system because sleep is so important in that fourth trimester um so if you can sleep if you can get out for your walk and your mental health like i think that's going to be the best um steps forward 
and then slowly build in your pelvic floor specialist to someone that can help you build your body language again because like I said your body has changed so much throughout the journey of pregnancy that you need to learn it again like what imbalances do you have like how is your pelvic floor do you need to start with just body weight training and then slowly progress into intensifying your sessions yeah I think the emphasis on everyone's on a unique journey Mm -hmm. stay like attuned to how you're feeling but also yeah I think you know you mentioned pelvic floor I imagine like like whether it's a c-section or a vaginal birth there's a lot that's happening in your abdomen section and there's a lot of like coming back together slowly and and kind of re reconnecting there as well 100 percent. it's it takes time and so it should <laughs> you created a human um these um the muscles take 500 days to repair so if you tear a muscle or if you sh are giving stress on that muscle, it's like when you think about that, that's a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, a year and a half to kind of get back to full strength, I would say. And you can do it quicker. I'm just saying, like, allow yourself time to do it right because you don't, you don't want to relapse. You don't want to injure yourself further it's like going too hard on it on your training program or getting raising the intensity and the duration too much too soon it always ends badly um, you can do this in a smart way and I highly recommend that you get professional help so whether just make sure that you're on a good program you have a good team um, and you're educated through this time and it'll just help you feel like you're on the right track instead of feeling like you're not yourself. Yeah. I think that's so such a good point. And that's super interesting about the muscle taking 500 days because, you know, me and my partner are in this experience, I'm seeing her like, you know, go through the 10 months transformation and create an absolute magical miracle human being. Yeah. You know, it's been, less than six months at this point and it it's very easy to be like okay am I back to my body am I like feeling good is this looking like this or feeling like that but it's like having that bigger picture of like well six months is only two-thirds of the time it took to grow this baby and like it's not even you know he's he was inside of her way longer than he's been out here <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you put it into perspective of like like that, it's like, yeah, that's why are we putting so much pressure on ourselves? And I don't I don't want to disencourage anyone, like discourage someone to not go out and, and train. I'm just saying do it in a smart, safe way. Um, because you only have one body. And if you do it too fast too soon and you go into that like relapse or the like injure yourself more um 
I, I just think you might be coping with that injury long term. Um, and I hope that we can help you in some way from having this conversation into like just getting those professional help. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, I really do think it's a shame, specifically in America, how that is supported women giving birth and being supported to take more time to recover in all aspects because it's truly like a full life changing holistic experience on every single level of being a human and as much as like you know some people in the spiritual spaces want to say like we are our bodies we absolutely need our bodies and like you said we only have one and the healthier we can keep our bodies the healthier our mind is also going to be which is going to support an overall you know more enjoyable experience too um and i think you like you've shared throughout this conversation like having a foundation of education allows us to trust this experience a lot more um, especially going into unknown spaces such as getting pregnant uh term like endurance program of like you know half Ironman or marathon or something like that. it can be an unknown space and so we need to be able to trust this container to go through and i think like so often when we're not in that space it's like the urge to reach for something quick do something we used to be able to do work too hard you know comes up and we get sort of bitten by it so i think like what you're sharing and creating this like foundation of education that can allow you know women in this instance to trust this process and like lean into that recovery period is like so important yeah um i i think that's like from my heart like i love what i do so creating those spaces to educate her and and him like <laughs> I don't want to exclude anyone I just I can speak more to the female um physiology because I am a female um to create those spaces to let her continue living the life that she wants to live and often that that comes from that that education that you're receiving and the good programs the holistic way not just like I'm going to do a marathon go to that marathon, never run again. <laughs> like I've seen that so many times and, and like as a coach, I'm just like, oh, you could, you could enjoy this if you did it correctly. Like it doesn't always have to, like it'll hurt, but it doesn't always have to hurt that much. Like you can educate yourself on how to fuel, how to train, how to like get in the right communities and just keep living every day to the fullest instead of having a quick, I think everyone wants a quick hit, like tick, I did a marathon, tick. I went and ran a trail race. Um, I think yeah. for shift when I was like, okay, I wanna do this sustainably. I wanna be able to run or cycle or triathlon or whatever it is like I feel into, but I wanna be able to do it for 20 years. Yes. If that's my goal, then maybe I need to rest today. You know, it helps sort of make some of those choices of taking the foot off the gas a little bit easier at times when, it, when I know it's like, okay, well, 
I want to be able to do this for a long period of time because I do enjoy it. Yeah, because it makes me happy too. That's what people often forget is that movement um, creates this, like <laughs> you look at the hormones and like the serotonin and like the different like dopamine hits and all everything that we get from exercise, like just healthier overall, but it also makes you happy. Like if I don't train <laughs> for a couple of days, I'm I am a bitch. <laughs> so it's like exercise makes me happy. It like gets me out in the sun. It makes me adventure. And I think we often forget sometimes we're so fixated on that goal to look a certain way or achieve a, a distance but that's the lifestyle that I really want to push for her the lifestyle and educating her so then she can pass that on to the next generation as well and live a full life yeah that's great and I, I also wanted to just note like you know the education around the pregnancy journey and the recovery period like it's women absolutely need that like it should be shared like totally mm -hmm. with like everyone but I also think like it's so good for men and like I know from my experience like to get at least some of that education too um, because it's just like created much more like respect and awe for the process that's unfolding um, it's allowed me to be more compassionate patient and supportive like you said it's just so important to have like that support team mm -hmm. um, I think like the education for around that specifically for the the male or him or man or whatever um is like it is really helpful as well and I think like I've learned so much and and really just feel like blessed to be able to witness this process and and be a part of it and um yeah know where I can help and where I need to also get out of the way yeah and like when you're not experiencing it um within your body it would be like I can't imagine how it feels for you guys or the supporting partner because if you're unaware it's so easy to kind of switch off like you think about it we use the analogy of a training session. Someone can tell you how hard a training session was. Like, oh my goodness, I just I did one thousand repeats today, and I'm hurting. I can't. I can't do this. I can't do that. I need to go take a nap. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? But if you experience that, <laughs> like if you actually feel what that person is feeling, then you understand it a little bit more. Um, so I can't imagine how it feels as the supporting partner to watch along without getting information so without being like okay this is what's happening through each trimester and I think that's a that's a choice that you've decided to make for your partner so good on you because <laughs> it like we we really need our supporting partners during this time like you have days <laughs> where you just you need support women know you know what I'm talking about the days where they, you get the hormonal surge and you yourself don't even know what's happening so you need your partner to be like it's okay tomorrow is a new day exactly and I um, could do better and 
you know, if there's another round of it, then I'm sure we'll continue to learn and evolve and, and lean into that and increase like the compassion. But I think like, yeah, it's impossible for me to know what that experience is like, but know that it's more complex and magical than anything I have experienced. And I think just through that, like sheer respect and awe of it, um, you know, gives me a, a good perspective to come from and yeah it's 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 amazing um so i think like this this especially this like chapter of work that you're putting together and going to be sharing is is really important yeah and it comes with a team i will say at her trails we have educators so we have seven different educators from women's health guru to pelvic floor specialist to physical therapy nutritionist um mindfulness so there is a holistic way of a, a holistic approach to the way that the programs are delivered through her trails and i think i could not do it without them so yeah that's awesome um that's great to hear and like yeah all of these things are integrated and you know we've tried to separate them in our culture the last number of years so it's great to be able to bring them together and um you know use movement and, and running and trails to to deliver that information is great yeah it's so good so hertrails.com is where you can find those programs um her sports is on instagram and then i recently just launched some runs on nike run club as well so if you're looking to run with me guided coaching you in your ears, jump on to NRC and um, have a look at my spicy speed sessions. I would <laughs> I would start there. A real introduction to how I coach. Seems like people have been enjoying them so far. Yeah, they have. We actually have a run playlist uh, coming out for February. So the, the month of February, you have to do eight different runs. And it's myself, Coach Jess, and then Coach Bennett um, have all different varieties of runs. So highly recommend doing that. If you are a, if you're not a member on the app, you should you should join because that's another way to get into a running community like we were talking about before. Um, is like jumping on one of those apps can can help motivate you to do different types of running and different types of training and, and meet new people. Yeah, definitely. All right. We'll share some of those links when I, when we post this up, but I think that's a great spot to leave it for today. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I always love chatting with you um, and let's stay in touch. I hope everyone has a great week, a great day and they get out and run or train today. Yeah, thank you so much. And good luck in this next phase that's coming up for yourself too. Yeah, thanks. Race day, aka labor, is around the corner. <laughs> so I'll let you know how it goes. Work well and enjoy it as much as you can. Thank you. Bye.